Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus is dying and they ask Jesus to, to come to their home there. And this is a John chapter 11 here, starting with verse 28. And so they've already sent word to Jesus to come and to see them and they're hoping that he can uh, keep their brother uh, uh, from, from dying. And I think we've all probably had that type of request of God. <laughs> God, come here and help me in this particular situation. And so this is starting with verse 28. So when she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And then I think it probably took anywhere from two, maybe even four days for him to get there. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And the Jews who were there, who were with her in her house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. And they followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. In other translation, Jesus wept. And the word, I think I've read a few times, uh, the word that used for, for weeping here is not just casual tears, but the whole body just convulsing in grief and pain. And Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And this is uh, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> As we take some time just to talk uh, about this passage and, uh, uh, think about times when you have known God or Jesus just to be very, very real, very present. Have you had that kind of experience where God is right there? God's in your very breath. And then maybe also that realization that God is also here or there in that person as well. So where God can be very personal, very intimate, and very universal at the same time. Let's just take a few moments to pray. And to reflect on that, let us pray. Amen. I think I've, I've mentioned a few times, uh, my father uh, grew up in, in a very rural area in central Kansas. There was about 500 people, and that was in the town that he grew up in. That was at its height. It's now much less. Uh, but everybody was a farmer, or everybody worked in a business which supported the, the farm industry. And at this particular time, my dad, I think my dad was born in 35, so in the late 30s, early 40s, not everyone at that time had a, a phone. And they did have a phone. It was uh, one of those phones that you would hang up in, on a, a big wooden box on the wall. And you had the little receiver, and you would crank the phone to call the central operator to make a call. And, and that was about eight miles away in town. And, and at that particular time, I was talking to my aunt. So some of you who know phones and stuff will have to correct me on this. I'm not, probably not going to get it all right. <laughs> but you would crank this phone. But they had, not everybody had their own personal line. And so his line number was 42. And that was the first two digits. And there was about six to eight families, my aunt said, on that one line. 
And she said that when a phone call would come in, you, didn't, it, you had different ringtones to signify this is your particular phone. And I think their phone was one silent. I go, how do you hear the silent ring? It was silent and then three short rings. And when your phone would ring, everyone else on that line, their phone would ring as well. And my aunt said you would pick up the phone and then you could hear all these little clicks. <laughs> Everybody else was picking up their phone as well, knowing it was not a call for them. And they would listen. I go, they would actually listen in on your calls? And she said, yes. You could, sometimes you could hear them breathing. Sometimes you'd hear them laugh. Sometimes you'd hear them cry. And there'd be several people on the call at one time. And she said, your grandpa would get on the phone sometimes and he'd call people out by name. She goes, I know it's you. <laughs> get off the phone. This call is not for you. It's, this is for us. And so it was the, the party line. It was the 42 line. Six to eight people were on that line at one time. And my aunt said, you tried not to share when the phone would ring and you talk. You tried not to share any mushy stuff or any gossip. Of course, I think they had absolutely no success. <laughs> doing that. Their phone was very public, but also they needed their phone, that phone line to be private as well. But they could never have any guarantee that they could have a private conversation on that 42 line. Uh, so Richard Rohr, Father Rohr says, Jesus and Christ give us a God who is both personal and very universal at the same time. In a truly transformative God for both individuals and for society, we need God to be experienced as both personal and universal. And I was thinking about this with that phone. We need our personal private line with God. But we also need to realize that God is universal and very public as well. And so have we known God to be very private and very intimate with us. And do we also realize that God is very universal at the same time? Because sometimes we need the phone just for ourselves and whoever we are talking to. Because it's a very intimate conversation. And we only want to share that with some people. We need rich and deep intimate relationships with God, with Jesus, and with one another as well. We need, loving, we need a loving, compassionate, non-judgmental God who will listen to us and us alone. We need that type of privacy at some times. And we need to know that God can hold us and hold our life story in a very sacred place. And we need to know that we are loved very deeply and cared for, that we are forgiven, and that we are restored. And this is where we can have those intimate Moments where it's just us and God. And Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, is dying, and they ask for Jesus to come. I think all of us are old enough to know the, the sorrow and the pain that accompanies death, but also the deep intimacy during those times. It's very, very private. It's very sacred time as well. And they invite Jesus to come into the space and it's very personal while their brother is dying. And think of that intimacy of grief and sorrow that we experience. 
And the intimacy of suffering also corresponds, I would say, with the intimacy of great love. It's really special times that we only invite certain people to be a part of that. We have to trust someone to allow them into these very personal spaces. And initially when they invite Jesus, he doesn't show up. It's anywhere from two to four days before he arrives. And Mary and Martha, they, are, they feel like they've been let down and they are disappointed. And then Jesus arrives at this scene. And he sees their great sorrow. He sees them weeping. And he starts weeping with them. This deep, deep tears. He enters into their space. We need a God. We need a Jesus who cares deeply about us and shares our grief, our pain, as well as our joy and our love as well. And when the family, the friends and the family who have gathered there at Mary and Martha's house, when they see Jesus weeping, they say to one another, see how he loved him? See how he loved him? And they know God is very personal. That God has a great deal of empathy for each of them individually. And we need this. And this is quite often how our relationship with God starts. With these very personal, intimate conversations or experiences with God. Experiences where our hearts and our souls are deeply moved. And I love, absolutely love hearing these God stories. These experiences of God. When we know God is with us, that God loves us. It could be happening in so many different ways. It might be a dream that is more real than reality. It might be just simply a person who shows up in our life at the right time. And they are the hands and feet of Christ. We can even have that experience with a pet. A certain slant of light, as Dickinson said. And we just know it could be a letter. It could be an email. It could be a song. But something deep speaks to the deep within us. And we know God is real. And that God loves and care for us. And these experiences are so vital. And so important to who we are in our lives. However, if all we have is a personal relationship with Jesus... It can be very limited. It can also be problematic. Because it's easy to start believing that Jesus or or God's main purpose is just to provide comfort and aid to us. (laughs) Or specifically, me. God is just for me. My family. My tribe. My race. And my nation. And that love comes at the expense of everyone else. God is just for us and our well-being because we've had that deep personal relationship. Father Warren says, if we believe Jesus' main purpose is to provide personal individual salvation and comfort to us, it's easy to start thinking that God does not have anything to do with human history. That God doesn't care about war or injustice or the destruction of nature. And sadly, much of Christianity is just about individual salvation. And it comes at the expense of God's universal presence in the world. And when our primary focus, our only focus becomes individual salvation, 
we don't, our God often becomes very exclusive. God and Jesus is personal with this way of thinking, but God is not universal. And as a result, we have this very divisive God that some people are saved, but some people are unsaved. Some people are holy, others are unholy. There are good people, and then there are bad people. And even some people and some groups are even expendable. And then we end up with a religion that is often ethnic or even implicitly racist, which excludes much of humanity from God's embrace. Because God is just individual. For the individual is very private. But Christ has existed from the beginning. In the beginning was the word. And the word was for all people. And the word was the light of all the people. And God's presence has enchanted all matter. All of creation throughout history. We have this very universal presence. Universal God. And when we have a personal and intimate relationship with Christ. And we start seeing the inherent sacredness of the world. And the people of the world that God has created. This is truly transformative. And life giving. Father Rohr said there has never been a single soul who was not possessed by the Christ. Think about that. There's never been a single person who has not been possessed by the Christ. By the spirit of God. God cares deeply for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He weeps with them. He cares about the demon-possessed man who's howling at the moon. He's probably mentally ill. Think of how we look at the mentally ill in our country. God loves and cares deeply for them. The universal Christ cares about the children around the world and refugees. Richard Rohr says, Any God worthy of the name must transcend creeds and denominations, time and place, nations and ethnicity, and all the vagaries of gender and race. To be loved by Jesus enlarges our heart capacity, and to be loved by the Christ enlarges our mental capacity. That in God's circle of compassion, no one is left out. God is personal and universal, and no one is left behind or excluded from God's grace. And we need a God as big as our expanding universe. Our universe is just continually expanding. And God is always bigger. So as we take some time today, ask yourself, do we know God? Do we know Jesus to be very personal? Very intimate? I just think of that pain and that joy that Mary and Martha experienced. Knowing that Christ was with them in their pain. Knowing they were loved. And we need those experiences. The poet Kabir, he called God the breath inside our breath. I love that. That's intimate. (laughs) God is the breath inside our breath. Every breath we take. God is moving within us. And do we also know that Christ is everywhere? Can we see, I'll start off with something easy here. Can we see Christ in our dog? 
Can you see Christ in your dog? It's a little harder to see Christ in your cat. (laughs) But God is there as well. A magpie. A spotted owl. Can we see Christ in the sky? The Mancus River. Because this changes everything. Because then we start realizing that everything is sacred and precious and valuable. And we can no longer be just a throwaway society. Can we see Christ in the poor? Because God is there. Can we see Christ in the homeless? When we walk in the city market in Cortez and we see them on the side of the road or walking down the street, do we just see homeless, a homeless person or do we see Christ? Can we see Christ in the prisoner? Can we see Christ in the stranger? And this is the universal Christ that Rohr is talking about in the book we studied. Can we see Christ in those who are not like us? Maybe they don't think like us. Maybe they have a difference of opinion. Maybe they don't even like us. But can we see Christ in them? To live in Christ is seeing the light. And worse, it is also seeing from the light. And as we start to see from the light, we see the world as Christ does with infinite, infinite compassion. May we breathe Christ in and out with every breath. And may we see that presence, that sacred presence throughout our world. Amen.